Welcome and hello to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my Deep Dive Monday show. Today we're going to talk about the Supreme Court and the coach who prays. Obama demands more speech censorship. Leftism kills, not exaggerating. Musk and Twitter and some news about America Can We Talk and our Women for Freedom Summit. And of course, I'll tell you why all these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Before I even tell you what I want to talk about on this first five, which is that today, just this morning in Washington, D.C. at the Supreme Court, there was an oral argument made on a case involving a coach in California, or maybe it was Oregon, Bremerton, Oregon, I think it was, uh, who was a football coach fired for praying, quite literally. I will get that story in just a moment. Before I do, I want to mention something kind of fun and exciting, uh, which is that I, on our website, americacanwetalk.org, and again, americacanwetalk.org, we have a blog post. And my, my husband writes some blog posts. We write them. I write them. One piece I wrote recently has to do with election integrity. And basically, I tried to go through the arguments for people who may not yet be convinced that there was a serious problem with election integrity in the 2020 election, and more broadly, the methods by which elections can be and, in fact, are stolen in America. So I... That article is up at our blog. I urge you to read it and to because it really does lay out with great detail along with links to other stories. It's very substantive, very serious. It's not just a you know, slinging of um, concern or fear or um, something like that. It's very substantive and serious. And today, uh, Sidney Powell, who is a good friend of mine, Sidney Powell, who was the attorney for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, has been on the show many times. She put that out in her daily email today, or weekly email. She sent out an email, fabulous. I want to tell you the article's there, uh, which is a great thing. Um, I did forward it on to her and several other friends um, in the fight for election integrity. I was grateful that she posted it. Urge you to read it, because if any of you listening really still have kind of doubts about, well, of course, there's always a little bit of election fraud, but maybe not a lot of election fraud, this article will help you understand the scope, the breadth, the methods, and the urgency presented to the American people to do something about it. Well, my first slide today is really about the Supreme Court. So our Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, has as its very first amendment a guarantee of freedom of religion. I sent to Mr. Becker the language, which I know you all know this, but I'm just going to read it anyway. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Leave it up there one second. That very first line, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Those are frequently referred to as the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. Okay, now you come back to me. Establishment Clause or Free Exercise Clause. The reason I want to go through that with you in this first five is this. 
over the course of the Supreme Court uh, jurisprudence relating to the First Amendment, there has been a lamentable trend for the Supreme Court to be exceedingly, exceedingly cautious or, in fact, um, overly zealous in interpreting the Establishment Clause, basically meaning that any friendliness expressed by any government entity, any friendliness expressed by, the, um, by a school, a public official, any tolerance of religion, just touching on religion, is often and sadly viewed to be a, a potential violation of the Establishment Clause. And what the Establishment Clause is supposed to mean I'm doing uh, you know, Religious Freedom 101 here, but you know, in law school, I remember discussing these cases, and they were interesting back when I went to law school um, in Washington, D.C., you know, a few decades ago. But the Establishment Clause is just supposed to mean the idea that you, we're not going to have in our country, our founders in establishing that as the very first clause of the First Amendment, they're trying to say, we're never going to have a government here that says, we, the United States, we've decided that we are a Catholic country or a Lutheran country or any religion. The government's not going to establish a religion, distinguishing itself from England, from whence they came, our founders, where they did have a Church of England. So that's the idea. We're not going to have any establishment by the government of a religion that actually enables and supports freedom of religion. The whole concept, the second clause, is the idea that you actually have freedom of religion, meaning you can have no religion, uh, you can change your religion, you can embrace a new religion, you can invent a new religion, you can create a new religion. In America, religion is really your business. The free exercise clause actually means not just you can attend church on, sun on Sunday or maybe a synagogue on Saturday or whatever day you worship. It doesn't just mean you get to go to church. It doesn't just mean that you get to talk about religion in the confines of your church or synagogue or your home. It means you can live your religion. That is the point of the free exercise clause. It has been tamped down upon because of, directly as a result of what the Supreme Court has done in stretching to find any slight support for religion by any quasi-government agency to be an establishment clause problem. So public schools, great source of this kind of jurisprudence. So right now the case, leading all that to say today the case before the Supreme Court is this coach who was a football coach who had, and I happen to know the lawyers who worked this case up, I've talked to them many times and heard them uh, in public speeches also talking about this. The idea of this coach, uh, his life story was simply that he had promised God and his prayer and his uh, practice of his freedom of religion said, you know, if you uh, let me be the, get, this, get to have this job to be the football coach, I will give thanks to you. I will thank you for this. And I, will, I will get out of my knees and thank you after every game. So in this, uh, this uh, public school, this coach did this. He would have a game. You know, they would have a game against other public schools. And at the end of the game, game is over. You know, fans are all done. He, this coach, would walk out to the 50-yard line of the field and get, get down on his knee and, and say a prayer. Not over the loudspeaker. Not speaking out loud. A silent prayer of gratitude to God. Some players eventually began to join him on the 50-yard line after the game. And some other parents of other schools also noticed, and they actually were calling the school to compliment the school. This is a wonderful thing to see this expression of faith, voluntary expression of faith. So the, the school, because of 
agitation by the anti-God atheist movement in this country and some loudmouth parents uh, and others, the school eventually, after telling him he couldn't do that anymore, he first said, okay, okay, I won't do that anymore. Then he finally said, why, why can't I do that? Why can't I pray at the 50-yard line after the game is over? He wasn't disrupting anything. He wasn't disrupting the game. He didn't do it at halftime. He didn't do it in the middle of the game. It was after the game is over. So he decided, actually, I'm not going to stop doing it. So he resumed this practice of praying on the 50-yard line. School fires him, and the case was finally argued today before the Supreme Court. And I want to talk about this a little bit in this country. I think I might, because I always say it's first five, and then I go longer than that. Um, I'm going to um, wrap up the first five right now by saying, we're going to talk about this case a little more um, after our break because I think it's important to understand the tentacles of this kind of argument on both sides of what, what's an establishment clause problem, what's a free exercise problem, and understanding what it does to America's culture and society. But for now, I'll wrap up and say that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. But now we're going to continue our discussion because I really want to just make some points I think are vital to understand about the freedom of religion, about the First Amendment. And every case that you think about, you hear about, you have to try to put yourself in the position of the other side and then also in the position of what is the logical uh, playing out of this decision, whichever way the court goes. What does it play out? How does it impact America in the future? And some of those questions were kind of hinted at during the Supreme Court argument. There was reporting today already about the Supreme Court argument uh, with this, involving this, ju this um, coach and the conservative justices were sounding pretty friendly toward this uh, coach. I'll tell you one question I thought was actually um, uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who happens to be a devout Catholic. He had, you know, what happens at oral argument, you know, I think you know, but, you know, the two sides are in front of the uh, Supreme Court, and, you know, that, so this would be the um, school district, or which is, represents the government in this case. These are public schools are government schools. So it's a government representative of the public schools. Uh, and then it was the uh, plaintiff or uh, the lawyers representing the coach who got fired. So Judge Kavanaugh, uh, a uh, believe a devout Catholic, asked the question, could the school fire someone for making the sign of the cross before a game? You know how people, many Catholic people do this. They bless themselves. You see people do it in public restaurants. Everywhere people do this. In fact, you see it uh, in public schools. I know I went to a public school in upper New York State, and I saw some teachers who happened to be Catholic doing this in the dining hall. I mean, dining in the dining room at lunchtime. It's a symbol of your faith. So Kavanaugh is saying, well, hey, if he can't kneel privately, not asking the team to do it, if he can't kneel at the 50-yard line and the game is over, well, what does that mean then for the teacher who wants to make the sign of the cross before he or she uh, completes their blessing before their lunch? Or you see some students blessing themselves before an exam. I mean, you see this, you know, in, in all over the place, in colleges and, and high schools, you know, some students who are devout Catholics and perhaps other members of the Christian faith will bless themselves. Is that going to be a problem then? Is a very, very good question he had. How far do you take this prohibition on the idea that you cannot express any religious faith in the public square? Now, people who are supporting the school say that's not exactly the issue, but really what they're saying to this coach is you cannot show, give an expression of your faith in a public venue because you are associated with, you are you know, employed by the school as a coach. And, your, and the argument, uh, the, uh, the uh, Kavanaugh, which, excuse me, Elena Kagan, the left-wing judge, 
um, she asked the question, you know, don't you think that, essentially, don't you think that puts pressure on students? Because if you're on the team and you see that some students are joining the coach at the 50-yard line, they're out, there make, they're out there praying with the coach too, wouldn't that make some students feel like, I guess I better go out there and do the prayer at the 50-yard line and, uh, after the game is over because maybe I won't get as much play time. Maybe the coach won't like me as much. And so uh, she's arguing a subtle, unspoken, coercive effect on other students um, who don't, wouldn't otherwise want to join this coach in prayer, but they think, gee, you know, uh, this may hurt me. So she's saying, Kagan's arguing, uh, the implication of her question is, isn't that kind of an establishment of religion? You're forcing a student to be thinking, I might get hurt in my playtime if I don't go out there, so I'm going to do it anyway. So she had a good question. Uh, there was one that was really great. I'm going to tell you really quickly. It was Clarence Thomas, my favorite Supreme Court justice. I mean, so stellar. But anyway, Clarence Thomas asked a hypothetical. If the coach, instead of taking a knee for prayer, took a knee during the national anthem because of moral opposition to racism, how would your school district respond? Wouldn't that be government speech? And it's a really good question. Uh, to be really clear, Clarence Thomas is brilliant. I mean, he's really brilliant. He's often criticized because he's a quieter judge. I mean, a lot of the judges just interrupt each other, piling on, can't wait to get their, you know, intellectually pretzel-twisted question out to sound like the brightest person in the room. Clarence Thomas is a quieter judge, and he asks great questions, and that's a good point. So you can take a knee for, uh, in op in, you know, maybe he, he used a nice description of it, saying in opposition to racism, many people viewed the, taking a knee during the national anthem as the expression of anti-Americanism, of, of being down on the American people, down the country of America. But Thomas is like, so, okay, so you can take a knee because you hate America. Now, he didn't say those words. He said to oppose racism. I'm saying you can take a knee because you hate America, but you can't take a knee if you love God. It was, it was a really good question. All these questions are to provoke all of this thought uh, around this case. I, I'm not going to make a prediction uh, because I think we have one or more very, very, very wobbly Supreme Court justices allegedly on the conservative side who aren't really, who are barely reliable. Uh, often very wise questions are asked about how reliable they, I mean, how earnestly and honestly some of these people really are as conservatives versus if some of them compromise for some reason we don't know. Uh, Sotomayor asked, another liberal judge asked, is it would it be okay if a coach recited a prayer in the field while wearing a Nazi symbol as an expression of faith? So she's trying to say, you know, their religion might be bad, 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 bad. But, you know, the, the lawyer for the coach is getting a really good answer, just said, um, this is not, you know, it, because she's saying, in, in essence, then you, you would, I assume, try to prohibit that speech. You might say you can't wear a Nazi symbol. But the answer was, you know, well, that's, that's, those aren't the facts on the record in this case. Nothing like that is happening. It's a coach, presumably wearing whatever he wore during the game, doing a prayer. And I want to say why I think this case is so significant. And, I mean, it has been watched for years by advocates for the freedom of expression, the, the um, established, uh, by people who are concerned about the Establishment Clause, think it's been too heavily relied on to suppress religious freedom. And of course, it's been watched closely by religious freedom experts. I wanted to say this about that. The foundational idea of America, the reason, the reason our forebears came here, the reason they came here was for religious freedom. 
It's a fundamental, foundational idea of America. It is not supposed to be lightly tamped down. It's not supposed to be kind of, well, you know, uh, this minor expression of faith might somehow be uh, construed as an establishment of, this, of the government of a religion, so you can't do that. There's supposed to be a, a robust defense of the free exercise of religion, robust right to the free exercise of religion. What happened under Supreme Court jurisprudence for four decades is just the opposite, a robust interpretation of the Establishment Clause, a robust interpretation basically saying anything that hints at government friendliness toward religion violates the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause. So many people were saying they hope this case at least causes the court to rethink the standards they apply in these cases to tilt the court back away from being so frightened of a, a potential hint of friendliness toward religion uh, that they find establishment clause violations everywhere and, and, and tilting back toward a robust honoring of the free exercise clause. That is one monumental uh, view of this case. Almost no matter how it comes out, can you get the judges to start to redefine the balance between those apparently uh, conflicting provisions of the Supreme Court, uh, of the uh, First Amendment? The second issue is, and I've said this before in this show, and it ties to other issues we'll be talking about in the near future, but you need to begin to understand what the role is of atheism in America. The reason these cases get pushed so hard that someone would be so upset because a coach, after a game is over, voluntarily and, and asking no one to follow him out there, goes out on the field and does a prayer at the 50-yard line after the game is over. With and people are leaving, there are you know media there talking to the players. You know they have all the. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's not like otherwise the stadium is in silence and he's out to making a big scene. He's doing this by himself. But atheism is no longer in this country just simply the idea that someone chooses to reject faith. I mean, you can do that. It's obviously, you can be an atheist. You can be an agnostic. You can be an you know, anti-God person. All of that is permitted under our Constitution without limit. However, atheism is no longer just choosing not to believe in God. Atheism has has evolved, has morphed into a strident antagonism toward God and a strident antagonism toward other people's belief in God, a strident antagonism over religion itself. Understand atheism is a radical left-wing movement in this country, far bigger than just choosing not to believe in God. And secondly, and related to that, the push of atheism, the driving, the antagonism toward God, the antagonism toward faith, is not just to drive religious people out of the public square, not just to delegitimize faith in the, in, the public, in the world or in our country today. It is to enable what the leftists in this country are trying to do with respect to their radical Marxist determination to take control in this country. The reason communists and socialists, when they come to power in countries around this world, among the very first things they always do is start burning down churches, arresting and killing priests, pastors, people, faith leaders. Communists and socialists always do that because people of faith 
stand in the way of the determination of leftists taking over countries in this world. Those people stand in the way of the Marxist people of faith, of deep faith, whose sense of identity and purpose and rights and, and what they believe in comes from God. Those people stand in the way of the all-controlling communist governments in this world, the Marxists, the socialists in this world, who cannot simply impose their values on people of faith because people of faith have another place they look for what they believe in. Communists hate religion. Socialists hate Christianity because those people of faith, their, their mentality, their mindset, their, their belief in God stands in the way of the radical power grab the left is engaged in, and that is true in this country. You have the left in Washington and throughout the country, but the leftists in Washington, the anti-leftist radical left, the anti-American radical left, striving to destroy the family unit, striving to gain control over what children believe by, in, in the face of the public schools. You have, you have the radical left working in many, many ways to advance uh, abortion at the, in, the, in, contra, in contradistinction or in opposition to what virtually most people of faith believe in. They're pushing abortion. They're pushing uh, gender, uh, tra just gender transition for anybody, any age. Uh, the evisceration of the role of family and parents in, in instilling values in their children. The left is trying to radically transform America, and people of faith stand in their way. And that is one reason that you're seeing such strident opposition to a simple Christian coach who would like to kneel at the 50-yard line after the game is over. Now I'm done with that story, which is a long first five. Okay, so I want to hit another um, story I want to, uh, today. I call it Obama Demands More Speech Censorship. And, you know, i got to tell you people, I, I find this stuff kind, kind of astonishing. I mean, you probably heard Obama made a speech, pre, former President Obama, at Stanford recently. And so, you know, he's, he's in this element of leftists, and Stanford's, you know, full of leftists. So Obama, in his speech, was advocating that the social media companies don't go far enough in censoring free speech. I was going to play a clip for you, but I can't even stand it. Obama was pushing the idea... Speaking of Stanford and his and the way he always has his elegant, smug, uh, intellectual superiority over the masses, the way he always speaks, but talking about the idea that the social media companies don't go far enough in censoring speech. I mean, here we have you know we have the Twitter story. I can't wait to get the Twitter story, Elon Musk and all that. But you have the Twitter story. Uh, you have people complaining about the censoring by YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all these social media giants. And Obama's saying they don't go far enough. They don't go far enough. They should censor more speech. They should censor people. And that what he does, I want to, I, I can't tell you how important this is to get this point. He does it by trying to make the argument, trying to make the argument that all he's really talking about is shutting down his word, disinformation. Disinformation. And you have to understand what he means by that. But before I get into that, understand, as in beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so is disinformation. So is disinformation. Now, if someone were saying the sun is cold or water isn't wet or just, you know, someone were saying two plus two is five, we could all say, well, actually, those are factually based, you know, false assertions. The sun is hot and everybody knows that. 
and two plus two really is four and only four, and water really is wet. Those are concrete facts, and there are a lot of them in the world. But there are also a wide array of issues on which intelligent, well-meaning, well-educated people disagree. And that's what he's talking about. He wants, he, Obama, wants the social media companies to be the arbiter of truth. That's why he's saying that. He's happy that, for example, I'll tell you one huge issue, huge issue on social media shutting people down, and that has to do with COVID. You may know, if you listen to my show very often, there are in the range of hundreds of doctors now in America who have signed on to say that with COVID, when it first came along, there were many available treatments that would, for almost all cases, help people get completely better. Hydroxychloroquine, inhaled budesonide, ivermectin. There are new ones. I don't keep track of all the new drugs. But doctors who actually attended medical school, you know, did their internship, did their residency, became a doctor, treated patients, had patients they could talk about, had patients they could treat, learned how these drugs work, watched the use of ivermectin, which by the way, was not a, only a horse dewormer, it has been a medication for humans for decades. So these doctors treated patients, saw the results, recorded the results, did studies, and came out to say, hey, you know what? I've had you know 700 patients who had COVID, some of them bad cases, and they all got better under the regimen of, and then whatever it is. And all these ones I mentioned, ivermectin and budesonide, hydroxychloroquine, all these doctors would say, and there are other surrounding or supportive treatments that you also should pursue. You know, and I'm not gonna, you know, the zinc, zinc and all that, I'm not gonna go through all that. But the point is, these are doctors whose voices have been shut down by social media on the grounds of disinformation. You have to realize the absurdity. And that's just one case in which Actually, if sanity were to prevail, there are facts. There are doctors who can say, yeah, actually, I'll tell you, I, I did this, it worked, this didn't. I mean, they're, they're actually, they know what they're talking about because they've lived it. But the social media giants in cahoots with the Fauci, NIH, CDC, big pharma companies who all want to push everybody gets a vaccine and nothing else works, they push that agenda from early on and those social media companies shut down talk show hosts, me, on YouTube, for playing the testimony before the United States Senate of a doctor who said he had treated, it was in the hundreds of patients, no, it was over 900 patients, I think it was, with ivermectin, and he called ivermectin a miracle cure for COVID. None of them needed to go to the hospital, none of them got the vaccine, and none of them died, and he gives that testimony, and my shows, and I'm permanently banned from YouTube. And I'm just one little talk show host. But there are doctors or other specialists. You know, folks, you're about, I'm sorry if you're on the radio, you're about to go off for a break. We have a three minute break. Come back after a three minute break to America Can We Talk. We have much more to say after the break. Okay, folks, I want to continue on this. I, I'm sorry, you know, I, this, I hate when these radio folks miss these three minutes, but what are you going to do? I just want to urge you to think about that's just one example, the whole COVID example. What Obama's saying is, the social media giants should be able to continue. And in fact, 
expand their disinformation censoring because they get to decide what's true. And so you're going to have them silencing what is covered, silencing the, the uh, coverage on social media of COVID being a huge one, election fraud being another huge one, huge issue, where the left, now in the form of the Department of Homeland Security, saying you're not even allowed to talk about election fraud or else we might call you a domestic terrorist, that would certainly be one. In fact, that was another one where my show on YouTube, before it was taken down, got a warning, uh, you know, you cannot basically saying you can't talk about election uh, fraud. You can't talk about that. You can't say election fraud happened in 2020. And understand, this is the former president of the United States of America, a man who swore to uphold the Constitution, a man who went to law school. It's unclear what the heck he learned there. But he goes to Stanford and blathers away about emboldening the social media companies to shut down more American speech and to get to be the arbiters of disinformation. So anything the left doesn't like, and you have to understand what he means by that, Anything the left doesn't like becomes disinformation. And Hillary Clinton, not to be out, outdone by Obama, she weighs in with this unbelievable tweet. This is Hillary Clinton, who wouldn't know the truth if it bit her on the arm. Hillary Clinton, for too long, tech platforms have amplified disinformation and extremism with no accountability. The EU, European Union, is supposed to do something about it. I urge our transatlantic allies to push the Digital Services Act across the finish line and bolster global democracy before it's too late. You've got to get the Hillary Clinton, who, whose lies are legendary and continuing to this day as she's defying the Durham investigation and trying to pretend she wasn't the source of the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax, which she was. And Hillary Clinton is out there with the audacity, you, I mean, it, you can't even find the words, audacity to be arguing that tech pat platforms amplify disinformation. She's walking, you know, epitome of disinformation and extremism. Extremism like, I don't know, saying there were really good treatments for COVID and a lot of people died because you let, didn't let the word out there, the government didn't let the word out. I mean, people, this idea, these people, you know, contrasting our first, okay, welcome back to our radio listeners. We're still talking about Obama and his effort at Stanford to tell people that they should support the tech companies expanding their censoring, expanding their censoring to shut down more speech. Hillary Clinton weighs in with a tweet talking about how more censoring, more shutting down of what the left gets to define as disinformation extremism would be really helpful for global democracy. I mean, people, their audacity, uh, the dose of audacity they have consumed, whoops, just dropped my papers, uh, just over the top, just over the top. Can hardly believe it. Okay, now I have to take a deep breath. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is leftism kills. I'm not really saying that to be smart aleck. I really am not. But I want you to just think about a small point. We may do this more later in the week, but I have so many stories. That, okay, this always kills me on Monday. I have so many things to tell you in so little time. And even though I grew up in New York, I can only talk so fast. I, I mean, I'm doing my best. Okay, but back to leftism kills. So the FDI, FBI director, Christopher Wray, FBI director was interviewed. Uh, he actually gave an interview on 60 Minutes. And he said on 60 Minutes, and this is his quote. I want to read it to you. 
Violence against law enforcement in this country is one of the biggest phenomena that I think doesn't get, a, get enough attention. Saying officers are being murdered at a rate of nearly one in every five days. Police officers in America. 73 police officers were murdered in 2021. He says some of it's tied to the violent crime problem as a whole, but one of the phenomena we saw in the last year is an alarming percentage of the 73 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty last year were killed through things like being ambushed, like set up, ambushed, or shot while they're out on patrol. Wearing the badge shouldn't make you a target. In fact, the National Fraternal Order Police announced in April that shootings of police officers had spiked, please listen to this, 43% just in 2022. And I want to just tell you why I call this leftism killed. The anti-American left in this country, in the form of the Black Lives Matter organization, Antifa, the whole Marxist cabal of leftists in this country have pushed things like defund the police, have grotesquely exaggerated the, the uh, problem of police violence toward black Americans. Has there ever been a case in which, which police officers have engaged in bad behavior or uh, uh, racist behavior toward black Americans? Of course, we're not a perfect country. But we have, in this country, gone from the era in which we had a much bigger problem to an era now where most police officers are on high alert, alarmed by and concerned about even ever drawing their weapon because they know that any shooting they, they feel like they have to engage in in order to protect their life or the life of another officer or the life of an innocent person is going to be raked over the coals by the anti-American left media, by the Black Lives Matter organization, and they are going to be skewered. Police are afraid to do their jobs. And, and, and by the, at the same time, the less than informed Americans easily worked up into a tizzy of anger and foolish outrage are ambushing police, are shooting them while they're out on patrol, while there's no interaction at all going on between the person before they shoot the police officer. The left engenders hatred of authority and hatred of police. The Black Lives Matter movement is funded by Marxists. It is funded and orchestrated and manipulated and controlled, and the messaging comes from Marxists who are trying to bring down this country. You have to understand that agenda. It is not simply they slightly exaggerated or they have more sympathy for minorities. There is a movement in this country to create chaos, to create the uh, outrage and fear we saw uh, and, and the outrageous behavior by the BLM and Antifa marchers in all of 2020, the rioters in the streets of the cities, uh, of our cities, it is not just because they want to fix or, or, or bring parity or bring racial understanding. It's, it's the whole critical race theory agenda. It's intended to permanently divide by race. It is intended to cause people to hate authority. It is intended to cause people to hate the police. There, there is a cause and effect here. A far more you know, linear, connected cause and effect between left-wing rhetoric, anti-police rhetoric, and the shooting of police officers 
than there is in many other things in which Trump is blamed. Every time anything bad happens, it must be Trump's fault, goes back to Trump somehow. I really want you to, what the left is doing actually resulted in the death of police officers in this country. And very, very um, strident um, uh, attacks on police in the form of riots, in the form of the uh, messaging that comes out of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And, and so you end up with people hating police. And you got to understand, and i got to tell you this, I'm sorry, Christopher Ray. he understands where it's coming from. He understands that leftist rhetoric caused the statistics he is now quoting. He understands that. When you convince people, when you work in a society to convince people that a society is rife with racism, that racism is under every rock and almost everyone you see is a racist, yeah, you're going to convince people to feel violent, to feel like they're victims, to be outraged, and to lash out. And this is what's happening. Uh, in fact, there was another little statistic I'll share with you. I'm not going to go into the details of it. But in the six years of Black Lives Matter, six years of strident uh, Black Lives Matter riots and protests and, and all that stuff, there are more black Americans killed, more black Americans killed than in 86 years of the lynching that was a horrific stain on America's history on the Democrat Party in the South, which was the Democrat Party was the KKK. The KKK proudly called itself the military arm of the Democrat Party. But the lynchings, horrible as they were, and, and outrageous, and, had, and, and thankfully we don't have those anymore, but in 86 years of lynchings, we had fewer blacks killed than the last six years of Black Lives Matter activism. Because Black Lives Matter is not trying to solve racism, is not trying to build bridges of understanding, is not trying to make things better. They are determined and striving stridently to continue to divide. Okay, folks, I want to hit one other story. And I have a lot of news for you um, about my show and uh, things coming up and about our summit in the fall, which I can hardly wait. It's going to be so fun. But I want to hit on Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, as of this moment, apparently owns Twitter. He's got it. He's got Twitter. Uh, you know, he offered, made an original offer, and the, uh, the board of Twitter voted him down, didn't want him, you know, buying out Twitter. And he got some other money together and kind of forced him into it. And in, in a way, you know, it's corporate America. They, they have to make a decision, a response as a board, based on the well-being of their shareholders. So they have to when they, you know, they've got an offer that will make their shareholders so much more money, they, they got to take it. They can't just say, no, we disagree with your politics. So I'm glad. I, I, the good news part of this is that Twitter, the, you know, also an extremely censoring organization, a left-wing organization, has censored conservatives, you know, locked out a former president of the United States. That's just one little example. Very, they, censoring to beat the ban. And so I'm thrilled, thrilled that they finally got their comeuppance. I mean, someone took away their ownership of Twitter. You gotta love it. However, and this is a huge however, Elon Musk is not exactly the um, you know, paragon of virtue uh, that you would want running any organization that has access to and the potential to censor people. Let me just tell you some facts about Elon Musk. First of all, now that he owns Twitter, apparently he and whoever gets on his board, they're the censoring agent. So you're really just changing who's the censor. I mean, it, it, Twitter was you know, full of leftists and they had left-wing agendas, so they shut down conservatives. Elon Musk you know, loves free speech. This is good. He loves free speech. I'll tell you a few other things about him. 
He's a, I think he's the richest man in the world. If he's not, he's one of the top ones. Rich people hang around together. Rich people tend to be globalists. He's very much a globalist. Very much a globalist. The whole Green New Deal mentality, he has Tesla and made money because the Green New Deal pushed climate change alarmism to the extent that government money enabled him to develop Tesla. So government money under the climate change alarmism hysteria caused him to be among the many reasons he's financially successful. So he's made money off of left-wing agenda items like climate change and the Green New Deal. Same goes for his spaceship thing. Oh, I've got the name of it, SpaceX, whatever the heck it is. Uh, that his, his um, spaceship thing, I think SpaceX, whatever it is, also government money. So he's a big recipient of government money. And he is a recipient of that money that is trending towards uh, and caused by, it, related to leftist ideology. He likes transhumanism. We taught, we played, I forget what day it was, we played the clips last week of Dr. Harari, the creepiest, creepiest guy uh, who is a top advisor of the World Economic Forum, uh, to Klaus Schwab, Dr. Harari, just a transhumanist. Basically, we're going to change humans from this idea of God created with a God-given identity and a soul and a relationship with God and a higher power. We're just going to turn humans into, as his term was, Dr. Harari's hackable units. Humans are going to become, we inject them with, uh, it's called, okay, it's called SpaceX, by the way. I'm just texting someone, uh, Elon Musk thing is SpaceX. Anyway, you're going to have, Harari is cheering on the idea that no more will humans be individuals, God-given identity and individuality. You're just, a, you're just a unit, a hackable unit, and he and the transhumanists are going to inject you with all sorts of vaccines and shots and whatever the heck it is, and you're going to become a controllable unit. Transhumanism, Elon Musk, big cheerleader for it. Big, 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 big cheerleader for it. He is in favor of universal basic income. This is a radical socialist idea. This is the reason that universal basic income appeals to many people. It's the idea, you mean I'd never have to be productive again? I'd never have to work? You're going to get some other people's money and give it to me? Universal basic income by the way, as in every other government expenditure, it's just the government through force taking somebody else's money, individual or corporation's money, and those people work to earn it, and forcibly through the power of the laws, taking their money away and giving it to some other group they decide is more worthy of having your money. That's what universal basic income is. And once it starts, of course, it only grows. People say, well, you know, yeah, we had universal basic income back in, you know, 2022. But hey, now it's 2030. We've got to triple that amount. It will never end. It disincentivizes people to believe in themselves, to engage in that, that self-reliant, can-do spirit, find their path, make their way. It encourages a massive growth of the dependency class, and he loves it. As a small side, I'll tell you some other things um, about him. Um, <laughs> he's apparently not a co-founder of Tesla. I didn't know that. Whatever. Uh, he and his ex-wife went to Epstein's apartment. Uh, this is from a Twitter handle called just period a period thought, at just a thought. Uh, so he and his ex-wife admitted going to uh, Epstein, the sex pervert's uh, New York City apartment. Um, he works at Bill Gates in Azure. Uh, two of his largest shareholders of Tesla 
are the groups that we don't like, Vanguard and BlackRock, both of which are heavily invested in the ESG movement to control corporations. Uh, he advocates for COVID vaccinations, not for freedom, but for COVID vaccinations. He built RNA microfactories for CureVac, which were used to create mRNA vaccines. He's received B, as in boy, billions in government subsidies, and he isn't self-made. He came from a wealthy family that owned an emerald mine in Zambia. Okay, I'm laying all those out to say I am still tickled pink. I love that Twitter got shut down, got bought out by Elon Musk. But if you think that that is going to mean all of a sudden freedom for conservatives or fairness in free speech, you're missing the point. He's going to be in charge. He has an agenda very, very dissimilar to most conservatives. That's not what he's up for. He's not up for the conservative agenda. And I don't know how long it'll take him. One last point to make, and I have, I do want to get to time to these, these things I want to tell you about my show and about the upcoming, um, um, upcoming summit in the fall. But one last point on Elon Musk and Twitter. Many, many, many brilliant people have been pointing out that it's almost impossible for a private sector company like Twitter to have the capacity, the cyber capacity, the massive cyber storage capacity to function as a private company given the B, billions of people involved, that the millions of every second transactions on Twitter, you can put a tweet up and instantly, you know, 5,000 people like it and it flies everywhere and people, and I mean, the, the billions of, B, billions of transactions that occur on Twitter, many people are opining that it just may be the case that Twitter is not actually completely run by the, um, by private sector, that somehow Twitter has the aiding and abetting and assistance of our government, of government capacity far exceeding what the capacity of Twitter would be um, to do it on its own. So if Twitter was being helped along in its massive spreading of speech, and its massive censoring efforts by our government, our you know mostly left-wing DOJ and and. FBI and whoever at the government, FCC, would have the capacity to help Twitter with all of these communications, those same entities which are in this hand, in this era, in the hands of the leftists. I mean, the, our government informs the DOJ, FBI, State Department, FCC, you know, NIH, all of these massive mega government bureaucracies are controlled by leftists at this time. And those leftists may have been enabling Twitter to handle all the communication it does. But if Twitter now actually becomes a free speech place, you know, a place where free speech is permitted, that those entities at the federal government level, they may not be so interested anymore in helping. They may not enable what we are hoping would happen. They may just say, you know what? Now that we see Twitter is uh, letting all these uh, conservatives have free speech, and second thought, we're not going to help them. I mean, don't trust that Twitter can maintain the capacity it has to distribute to the billions uh, that it does if indeed the government has been helping Twitter all along, which many people think. Enough on that point. On one more um, story, I want to talk about America Can We Talk, this show, and our Women for Freedom Summit. Okay, first of all, for this show, if you're listening on radio, 
I want to be sure you know this show is America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show has a website called americacanwetalk.org. You can go to that website and please, everyone listening, do the following things. Before I tell you our big news, I as really as exciting news about our summit. But first, I want to tell you, at our website, you can sign up for the weekly newsletters. Hit subscribe. It's free. It's once a week. It's filled with links. I can't tell you how many people stop me after I give speeches or tell me when I see them at public events. You know, thank you. I love your newsletter. I always share it. Get the weekly newsletter. Uh, number two, become a member. You can join America Can We Talk for a mere $50 a year, practically free. On the homepage under member, go to, hit that members tab. You can join $50 a year. You get discounts on our upcoming fall summit. You will also get a um, discounts on the products we're soon going to be selling. Um, and you just get, and, and I'll tell you the main reason to do it is the same reason you donate to causes you love. I ask you to become a member because you then are part of the America Can We Talk family to help keep this show on the air. Because I am, I am pummeled by the censors. The show is, it was permanently removed from YouTube. Uh, it is, a, uh, is very much tamped down, pummeled by, controlled by, uh, ratcheted down by social media. So the best place, no matter where you're watching the show today, the best place to watch it is at our website, americacanwetalk.org. If you go there, uh, the show will be on, I will be on. So get so sign up for the newsletter. Please become a member of America Can We Talk. You can also donate. We got a couple of recent very generous donations. I appreciate that. Uh, this show, lovely as the studio is, you might, you might think that they give it to me for free, but they don't. I have to pay this studio, which I love Real News PR. I love this studio, Real News Communication Network. But I, I do have to pay them, and it's quite expensive to do this show here. So if you'd like to support this show and help us stay on air, you can make a donation at the website in order to help this show, show stay on air. It really, truly is a listener-supported show. I'm going to tell you some quick things about this next month. We are nearing the end of April. Next month, May, this show is going to be in transition phase. And I tell you that for a couple of reasons. One is that I have some pretty big speaking engagements coming up. So I'm going to miss almost every Thursday in May. I may be here one Thursday. All the rest of Thursdays, uh, I'm not going to be available to do the show. We're doing some, I have speaking engagements coming up. I have uh, commitments to uh, important meetings I need to go to. And we're also, uh, just as a personal matter I'll share with you, my husband and I have sold our house in Dallas and we're moving uh, within the North Texas area. Uh, we're moving and building a different house. Uh, you know, we're kind of, anyway, we're, we're moving out more in the country. And so we're kind of in the middle of moving, trying to get resettled in the new house. So all that's going on. So May is a little bit of a, little bit of a hiatus. I will be doing this show quite a few times in May, but if you tune in, I'm not here. Just think of May, transition month, back on track, Thursday, June 2nd, back on track, 100%, and back on track, the American Kimmy Talk. So just giving you a warning about May, just a little bit up in the air. Um, looking forward to our travels. We're going to some exciting things. I look forward to the speaking engagements. Um, so I want to tell you about that. Um, also, for our summit this fall, America Can We Talk has sponsored, this is our third annual Women for Freedom Summit coming up. On our website, americacanwetalk.org, we do not yet have up the uh, forms to buy tickets, but I want to urge you to mark the date on your calendar, October 15th. October 15th is a Saturday. 
in that this year, and we're holding our summit again, our Women for Freedom Summit, this fall on Saturday, October 15th. And um, the last couple of years, uh, last year, I'll tell you especially, we had people come from California, Oregon, New York, Florida. So people do fly in for it. It is an extraordinary summit. And the reason I tell you that is because it's never about uh, screaming headlines or, you know, loud mouth, um, you know, kind of slogan slingers, serious, substantive thinkers talking about the serious issues facing America. People love our summits. I mean, love them. This is our third annual coming up this fall. You know, um, it's only one day. It's Saturday, October 15th. Friday night for our higher level sponsors, we have a private reception for all of our speakers, our private, our, our higher donors. So if you'd like to be a sponsor for this, you'll have an opportunity. I would love if you consider sponsoring. It's another way to support this show. But our, well, we have committed already to speak. I want to share with you briefly. Gordon Chang, China expert extraordinaire, talking about what China is doing to America, how we can respond. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, he's a gentleman who spoke uh, spoke up as a member, a commander of the Space Force, wrote a book basically saying that Marxism has invaded America's military. Eloquent book. He wrote the book. He's a fabulous speaker, and he was relieved of his command. So he's out trying to wave, you know, wave the flag of warning. Marxism, America's military, uh, extraordinary speaker. Uh, two, at least two speakers, and two more possibly uh, on COVID. Dr. Richard Bartlett stellar, stellar speaker from Midland, Texas, uh, on this show a couple years ago was one who exposed how inhaled Bidesni worked wonders for COVID. Also, Dr. Mark McDonald, who uh, wrote The United States of Fear, he's going to be speaking. Sidney Powell, Sidney Powell is speaking on the status, the status, whoever you say the word, um, of the rule of law in America. She's speaking. Uh, Evan Sayet, who's an extraordinary observer. Uh, he actually is a writer. He wrote a great book called The Woke Supremacy. Um, those are the ones we have committed. We have three or four other extraordinary people probably speaking also. I just want to tease it a little bit to say you ought to consider coming to Dallas on the weekend of October 15th. Come to our summit. You will not regret it. You'll love it. For our radio listeners, I'll tell you one more time, radio listeners, other ways to support this show, you can go to MyPillow.com, order anything you want on MyPillow.com, put Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G in the promo code. You get a discount and I get a little payment and you're going off in five seconds. So thank you for tuning in to America. Can we talk? For everybody else online, I want to say a few more words about MyPillow.com. Sorry, but there, uh, MyPillow.com. One little way I get some revenue in this show is if you go to MyPillow.com, place an order. They have great caliber products, quality products. My husband and I use them. You check at the promo cores you're checking out. Put in Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G. You get up to 66% off, and I get a small payment. I can't tell you how much it would help if you would do that. And we also have a, a promo arrangement with another company called H2Bev. The drink is called HydroShot. And I drink one every morning without fail. If you go to H, the numeral 2, Bev, h2bev.com and purchase HydroShot, it, it truly, honestly, no, it, it is an infused, uh, it's, it's, I can't go into the details. It's a wonderful drink. It actually does help with performance, endurance, and focus. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. But I urge you to do that too and put in Debbie G in the promo code, get 10% off your order. That's the way I support this show. And now, at the close of every show, I tell you, my very fine friends, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. 
So we started talking about the Supreme Court and the coach who prays. Coach Kennedy case finally heard about the Supreme Court. Um, high school football coach who prayed by himself after each game, fulfilling his private commitment to gratitude to God, gradually joined voluntarily, yes, voluntarily by others, eventually by school to, told by the school to stop, refused to stop, and was fired. Supreme Court questions are all over the map. Basic principles, free exercise of religion is foundational to America. It is a preeminent right. Establishment clause is important to control state action that would impact free exercise, but it shouldn't be a close case. Kennedy was engaged in the free exercise of his faith. He was not establishing religion at school, but there's no way to predict what the Supreme Court will do. And Obama demands more speech censorship. Uh, Obama and now Hillary of all astonishingly, I can't even think of the right word, just hypocritical, uh, united in demand for more censorship. Basic principle, disinformation has no meaning except in relation to what is defined as truth. But who defines what truth is? Are licensed physicians who prescribe ivermectin and seeing positive results engaged in spreading disinformation when they talk or write about their experience? Are the Ukrainians or others exposing fake Russian atrocity videos spreading disinformation? America was founded on the idea that individual citizens are capable of discerning and must be trusted to discern truth from falsehood. If government takes over control of information, freedom will be lost. And leftism kills, violence against police sharply rising. FBI Director Ray says he's never seen anything like it. When the leftist legacy media spews America is systemically racist and defund the police, how could anyone possibly be surprised by a surge in violence against police? America is a profoundly good country full of good people who value and desire law and order and the colorblind administration of justice with full regard for truth and honesty. Until U.S. leadership voices this truth, violence against police will continue to rise. The Musk and Twitter. Appears Elon Musk will soon own Twitter. Actually, I think he does. Leftists are apoplectic at the prospect of lost censorship of conservative views. Musk is a mixed bag, seems strong in free speech, but also heavy into globalism, transhumanism, and neither Tesla nor SpaceX would exist without substantial government subsidies. Could deep state sabotage Twitter under Musk, make it so filled with offensive content that censorship is reimposed? Be wary of any one person or company attempting to define truth and disinformation. The Twitter story is not over, many new chapters ahead. And on my show, America Can We Talk and Women for Freedom Summit. Month of May, we'll see transitions, limited possibility of no-shows in the second half of May, accommodating out-of-town speeches and a personal move. June 1st resumption may involve changes in show formatting. Thursday special shows with in-studio audience always continuing. Save the date, October 15th, 2022. Third annual Women for Freedom Summit. Outstanding speakers already committed. Evan Sayet, Gordon Chang, Sam Faddis, Matt Lohmeyer, Dr. Richard Bartlett, Dr. Mark McDonald, Sidney Powell. Women for Freedom Summits are uniquely powerful. Please plan to attend. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?